I'm 41 currently, and I'm already looking forward to, in about nine or ten years' time, being completely irrelevant to my children. Not in a harsh way, just as in I bet they'll roll their eyes at everything I say. So how do you think you should go about making anything that's 50 years old relevant to a young audience? Well, this week's guest is a chap called Stephen Green, and he calls himself the EVP, Executive Vice President for Kids at ITV Studios. His job, his biggest task, was to make Thunderbirds, a 50-year-old programme, something that my dad watched when he was a kid, relevant to children today. And guess what? He's broadly been very successful. Some of the snippets we cover with Steve are how children behave in different territories. Thunderbirds is huge in Japan, probably bigger in Japan than it is in the UK. I know. We spoke to Steve about his background. We spoke to Steve about his current role. And then we dug a little bit deeper. And we asked Stephen Green from ITV Studios for his rocket fuel. So, Steve, the first thing to say is thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on. A pleasure, pleasure. Steve, why don't we start with a little bit about you? Why don't you bring to life your journey and how you've got to where you are and what your current role involves? Okay, very good. I think uh, my first sortie into the entertainment business was um, late 90s, early 2000. I moved to Hasbro and I worked there with the uh, licensing in and the licensing out of brands, so other people's brands, and then working on our own brands. Okay. And also they had something called the Hasbro Properties Group at the time. So working uh, with that division as well. A lot of it was media-based. A lot of it was about placing our content, um, working with local partners, bartering shows that we created around our brands into market or big licenses like Pokemon where we needed to get the best TV placement. So that moved me towards, um, from a brand side, maybe more towards a content creative side uh, of the industry. Yeah. Uh, from there, I moved to uh, a company called Corian. And they, at the time, they are no longer, they've sort of been split up, but at the time they owned Agatha Christie uh, and Enid Blyton. Okay. Um, and uh, they developed and exploited intellectual property. Right. So moved there for a few years, which was fantastic. We bought the Mr. Men while we were there. Wow. And lined up some other, um, some sort of very interesting uh, projects that we did with uh, uh, Famous Five, with Noddy, uh, and obviously a whole load of uh, Agatha Christie's that we did, particularly with all the Poirots, the Suchet Poirots that most people know. And the breadth of that, if you like, managing the intellectual property so if there was a noddy film during that time that would be a partnership that you and your team there would have brought to life and and run from absolutely yeah it's quite a small team it's a small uh, a small a really interesting business very sad it didn't work out in the long run but um yeah very 100% ip focused Uh, and literary brands as well focused on literary brands so that was that was great did that for a few years and then uh, left and became the CEO of a small aim-listed PLC called Galleon Holdings. Okay. And this was a little bit different, a bit of a departure, um, moved into digital content in China. Wow. A little bit ahead of smartphones, Java-based content, uh, games, 
um, value-added services, had some premiums, had a couple of TV shows, had a puppet show that we launched on YouTube and then got taken up by Teletoon, um, had an animated movie, had a uh, TV game show format that we produced with Chelsea Football Club. Wow. Yeah, um, sort of um, sponsored content, sort of sponsor-funded content, really. Okay. And we launched that in China and Southeast Asia, mainly. So a bit eclectic, mm. um, but um, uh, again, a real journey. And that was like over eight years. Uh, after that, X did that, did a bit of consulting, and then came into ITV here about five years ago to initially to take up the reins on Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds right. are Go, yeah. which was a new reboot of the classic Jerry Anderson brand. Mm-hmm. And since then, we've uh, produced three series of that and also um, launched a new brand called Robozuna. We have two series in operation. Um, and my role here at ITV is to look after all things to do with the brand, development, um, production, distribution, exploitation, brand management, everything like that. What I don't do is move into the broadcast sector. Got it. So I sit within the ITV studios. Okay. So So that means it's international and that means it's almost, I mean, obviously the programming is is, is coming from your team or or from the producers, but it means it's international and it's not to do with the stuff that we see on ITV and children's ITV. It's, It's more broader than yeah, it's totally, um, particularly in the animated sector, it is a 100% global business. Yeah. Um, the way that you get projects funded means that your your home market, your local market is a very small piece of the iceberg. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, it's the tip that you see, that's it. Uh, you need a global business plan for it to work. So we'll come back to your role and the brands that you look after in a second. Let's focus in this first section on you, Steve. Um, first question, have you a mentor? Have you ever had a mentor? And do you, do you mentor other people? We, I, I have uh, a group of four or five, I suppose, um, industry friends that I've made over the years. And I go to them for advice as and when I need it. They are... Uh, they're not necessarily mentors, they're just people who I know sure. and I trust their judgment. In terms of mentoring, I don't put myself out to mentor somebody, um, but anybody in my team, anybody that I work with, if they want my advice, it's always there. Okay, you know? got it. Yeah. Um, what do you like at switching off? Not, not very good. <laughs> that Gen- seems to be a common theme. Yeah, this, this I, I think it is. I think you have to be passionate about this business. And normally, if you're passionate, you tend to be a little bit compulsive. Normally, yeah. not always. So I'm not really very good. I like to swim in the mornings and I like to run and do things like that. And when you're doing that, in theory, I suppose you switch off. But I don't. As I stare, stare at the black line, I think about stuff. You know, it takes your mind off of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit boring on those. So um, I suppose you could call that switching off, but I don't know. I like to think about problems, solutions, ideas, and things like that okay. uh, all the time. Um, how do you like to be managed and what do you like as a manager? Well, I know how I like to be managed, which is uh, clarity. 
I think it's really important. I don't, I'm very happy for somebody to say, go and do this, don't care how you do it, so long as I know what the this is. Yeah. Okay. So clarity of purpose is absolutely the most important thing. And for, for me, yeah. I get very frustrated if I don't have that. And I guess I try to make sure that that's what I do in terms of managing other people. Um, obviously, not everybody's like me, and other people need other things. Yeah. But I, I find you, you can't second guess everything. So that's how I tend to approach it. What qualities do you look for in your colleagues? Is there a commonality or is it different people offering different things? Yeah, we do, um, we do a course here, which is like a, a colours thing. Right. Are you a red? Are you a green? Are you a blue? Yeah. And I think it's one of the best things I've ever been on as okay. a course goes. It's yeah. really good. And I've done it with my team and I've done it with others. Uh, and I quite like that approach. In other words, just understanding that in a really functioning team, you have a good blend of colours. Uh, but what that really means is it comes down to is, from my perspective, what I look for is people who can do things better than me, uh, number one. And secondly, that I can trust them. So how they behave, how they operate engenders a feeling of trust. Yeah. That's a hard thing to manage necessarily yeah. because some people just don't necessarily fall into that category. But on the whole, that's what I would, that's what I look for. Okay. Good answer. Mm. Just building on that. Sorry, mm. it's not on the list of questions that I've got in front of me. No, no. But it's really tough to get job interviews, right? It is, isn't it's it? difficult. Um, re- mm. And do you think you've cracked it in the years you've been doing it? Do you think you've come close? What's your tip on job interviews? Because you obviously want to get to that level of trust, mm. but it's impossible in two, three, four, five hours, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Re- I think it is really hard. I think with job interviews... Um, in this, in, on the whole, in this industry, it's very unusual to come across somebody who doesn't know them, mm. who you can't get. Use your references. That's true. It's really important. Yeah. But if you can't do that, if you can't do that, don't don't skip it. For some reason, and I'm guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it. Your business is everything. You're running your business. You're running. Oh, I need a job. Somebody to come in and do this. And it sort of happens, and it fits into your diary as and when you can do it. And it's almost treated as a. Uh, a bit of a pain. Oh, I've got to do this. It's like, you've got to give it some time. Yeah. You know, these these things are really important. Whoever that person is, give it some time and just make your interview process thorough. Final question in this section mm. where we're getting to know you. What do you think you're known for? What's the one thing people will say? Steve Green, he's... Ha ha, yes. Okay. Well, um, it's always a question best asked of others, but yeah. I... I, I think um, I do feel that I've never had any role or any job where I wasn't passionate about it, something I really believed in. Okay. And if I didn't or I wasn't, uh, it, it, it would be time to move on. So I'm still here with Steve Green from ITV Studios. Um What's your job title, Steve? Let's start with that. Because on LinkedIn, does it say EVP Kids? So it's, it's quite broad. Ooh, uh, actually, <laughs> that's probably not my job ah. title. I put it down because it just is simple. Yeah. And people get it. Yeah. I think I am EVP Kids co- Content Development Production and Distribution. Wow. Okay. Which makes it sound like I just do the content piece. And it's, I think that's misleading. So I just say EVP Kids. 
<laughs> and we've already touched on Thunderbirds and Robozuna as uh, the brands that you represent. Yeah. Are, are there others that you've looked after since you've been at ITV, or has it just been those two? Or? Um, we have we have uh, picked up some third party brands. Mm. So in the past, we've picked up a few brands that have got onto CITV, our children's platform. Yeah, and we thought, okay, it's a tactical opportunity in the UK for us to look at that. But on the whole, we're very, very much focused on our brands. It, it, it's an IP business, Got it. Um, as opposed to a, uh, a a business or a sausage machine that needs feeding. Okay. Yeah. So bring to life the intellectual property of Thunderbirds. So some of our listeners will know, some of our listeners won't. It was a TV series that was first around, was it late 60s? Yeah, 60s, 70s, yeah. Yeah, it's 50 years old. Who is it that makes the decision to see... That's perfect to bring it back. Okay, so the decisions are made ultimately when we invest in a brand in a significant way would be made by the board of the IT, of ITV Studios. I think the the with regards to Thunderbirds, the rationale behind it, apart from its heritage and its you know um, it, its its fame, if you like, is it's quite a unique property. So what Jerry Anderson did is he created a form of science fiction which is quite standout, not just because he used so much model yeah. um, to bring it to life, but that model created a like a hyper-real sci-fi. Okay. It's not Beam Me Up, Scotty. Mm. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's hyper-real. And the heroes that appear are real people. Yeah. They don't, I mean, all right, Captain Scarlet, I know, you know, he's indestructible, but, you know, he doesn't fly. He's not sure. sort of Superman. So the, the idea that it's real people who have pretty cool kit and amazing vehicles who use their bravery and their heroism and their, and their initiative to overcome obstacles, we felt was something that's a bit missing in, in the marketplace. Okay. And Thunderbirds was the first, the biggest of them. Yeah. We thought, let's do that first and foremost. And is there anything in, because obviously every child relationship with something that they love, there are gatekeepers on the way. Is there anything, I mean, I'm guessing the kids that are watching Thunderbirds now, their parents, speaking as a, as a parent of somebody that's just got back into Thunderbirds. Mm. I mean, Thunderbirds means something to me, but I don't know whether it means that much. Do you know what I mean? But how important is the gatekeeper, the parent relationship in a recognised brand? Yeah. Um, parents and gatekeepers are always, always important. It's a different world now. Obviously, your access to the, consu- the end consumer, the child, is more direct. Right. It was much more structured before. Yeah. Now, with multi-platform uh, um, media consumption, you, it, it's much more direct. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a known. But don't ever think that the parents or the gatekeeper can't step in at any point in time. Okay. And they can. At the moment, we still live in a world where retail is really important. Right. So you have that step to not just to the child, but to the retailer, to the parent, to the child. Most products are bought as gifts. Most products are bought as gifts. Those gifts are bought by either parents or uh, uh, adults, for sure. A heritage brand has extra kudos in that space. Always will do. And when you're looking at IP, whether Thunderbirds or whether it's a global industry, two questions on this. How cynical are people? Because even, I, I, 
I've read some stuff that even Star Wars was seen as a huge opportunity because they saw the action figures as being as valuable as the movie rights further down the, the line. How much are you thinking about the content and how much are you thinking about the other things that hang off that core content? Yeah. Um, I think depending on your genre, uh, uh, you would get a different answer. Right. So in this world, in, in this world of entertainment, there are companies that are set up in France or in Canada, for example, because the subsidies are substantial and therefore producing content, live action or animation, um, you can get to 110% funding mainly on the back of that okay. and with some distribution money, etc. So in those cases, they just need to make stuff. Right. Okay. And it's not that their stuff's not good or anything like that. It's just a different rationale. Okay. Uh, make it for the sake of making it. Keep the studios busy. Our approach is not that. We are 100% IP focused. Yeah. Either creating and launching a new IP like Robozuna or reinvigorating an existing IP. So we have a very, very complicated, maybe overly complicated <laughs> system with lots of spreadsheets where we look at all the revenue, all the ancillary revenue that can come from a brand, wow. the content that's needed yeah. for that to happen, which is very different now. So don't just look at a TV series and the strategic partners that you would need to have in place. And you have to do that on a territory by territory basis. And does it differ from territory to territory? Is yeah. there, are there quirks there? Do, do yeah. Canada care more about social content than yeah. about... Let's there bring are. that to life. Go yeah. on. Yeah, that's, I mean, France versus the US, totally different markets, okay? okay. Totally different markets, not just because of the language, yeah. but the way it works. So Netflix, the SVODs, they're not really in France. Wow. The, in the kids space. Yeah. The, the traditional part, TF1 or Guli, are still dominant forces, okay? All right, and they're like broadcast partners. Okay. Okay, so straight away, they're the guys you go to. Take the US, for example. Yeah. We've had experiences with Netflix. We've had experiences with Amazon, where we've looked to use them as as partners to launch our brands as franchises. They haven't had the reach. They don't have the reach. They don't have the critical mass of audience. And maybe the way that the content's consumed, i.e. you get it in a big lump and you watch it all in, yeah. in two days, is not conducive to a consumer products program. But those two things combined, for whatever reason hasn't worked yet. Okay. So in the US, you're going, how do I reach my audience? Yeah. Okay. Probably, by the way, my thoughts are the answer is YouTube Kids. Okay. But that's a whole sure. other area. Whereas France, it's a different setup. So straight away, your strategic approach is totally different. And educate me, Steve. Is this because I'm going to be rude to make a point? Because no. France are slower and eventually it'll all end up in in the style of an American model that you've just outlined? Or do you think the cultural differences are so ingrained that actually there will always be quirks? Whether it's Netflix or a different video on demand, do you think France will get there? Or actually, do you think it will, it will always be different? Yeah. Uh, okay. Globalization <laughs> of taste. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it does seem to be a trend. Okay. But it will never be, I don't believe it will, it'll be a long, we're a long way. Okay. We're hundreds and hundreds of years away before we really have one global taste. It, it's just not going to happen. Okay. I wish we could, because 
planet would probably be a lot happier if that was the case. Sure, um, it would make your job easier. <laughs> it, would make, it would make everybody, everything easier. All forms of yeah. communication would become easier. Yeah. So um, I don't think that's, I, don't, I think we're a long way off of that. Uh, in terms of platforms or consumption habits, let's yeah. call it that. Sure. So moving away from the content, the yeah. channels, SVOD consumption is easy as a consumer. We've experienced both in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, it's easier. Okay. I prefer it. For, to a certain extent. Um, I don't think culturally France is in that position. They will have SVOD, but will it be a global SVOD or will it be a local SVOD? Okay. Probably more likely to be a local SVOD okay. because it's so expensive. You can't utilise your global reach with creating content. It has to be dubbed. It has to be localised. There will always be content that's wanted on a local level. So Thunderbirds was a brand that you re-energised. Other brands have been re-energised for the, the kids, for the youth market in the past. Mm. Is there any, are there any hallmarks of, yes, we can bring this back with these changes? Yeah. And are there, is there any commonality there where you can look at an old TV show? Maybe it happens in your real life, Steve. Maybe you're sat back, you're seeing old TV shows and you can actually say that could never work. It was re-energized and that one could. Yeah. Is it that simple or not quite? I, I think, what? yes, to a certain extent. I think when you look at it, if you're going to re-energize a brand, there has to be something in there in its core DNA where you go, Yes, that's still the same today. That's what we're going to do. Um, we didn't bring back um, Thunderbirds using puppetry. Sure. Right? Some people say, but that's part of the brand. No, it's not. Not in my opinion. Yeah. That's not. That was just the means that was available to, to create the content at that time. Yeah. And it was cost efficient. Okay. It never became associated. So if you can find a core DNA and you go, yeah, that still works, then there's no reason why you shouldn't do it. But if it isn't, and if you're going to turn it into something that it isn't, why not just create a new show? Sure. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so let's go on to creating a new show. Are there, are there things to avoid when you're looking at creating new content for kids? Are there any themes and any trends that when you're creating new content for kids, any content creators out there, anybody experimenting with ideas, what, what are the hallmarks that they should be looking at? Um, okay. Big question. Well, I, I look, here's the thing. Um, I mean, I was talking earlier about how we have huge global sophisticated valuation systems and things like that. If you start, that, that doesn't mean anything. If you don't have a fantasy, uh, an idea that engages your audience. I, one thing I'd say is think about who your audience is. We have a, the audiences now are much more fragmented than they were 10 years ago. And by that, what I'm trying to say is using the word kids actually is ridiculous. Yeah. What does kids mean? Yeah. Because I tell you this, preschool is a subsection. Yeah. The rules of, of how you operate, what you do, where you distribute it, everything totally different. You move out of preschool into, let's call that kid then, okay. non-preschool, yep. but not teen, yep. okay? <clears throat> Massive difference between a five-year-old boy mm. and a nine-year-old boy. Yeah. It's a huge difference. Mm. So, that, But they're still in your target. Yep. Nine-year-old, it's probably stopped playing with toys. Yeah. Actually, he's probably just doing video gaming. Mm. 
your four-year-old, five-year-old still playing with toys. Yeah. So there's, this, there's a massive difference. When you're creating content now, you sort of want to think about that. Right? Just it, don't, ever, you, don't ever stifle the beauty of the creativity or the notion or the idea or the characters that you've got. But it is always worth thinking about who you're going to, who you're talking to and keeping that in your mind. Steve, I want to shift focus a second mm-hmm. just to talk about theme parks and attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that this is something that's perhaps on your agenda because towards the end of April, as we record, we are in September in 2019. And in April, a press release was brought out by the uh, London Resort Company Holdings, and they were going to team up with ITV Studios on a multi-billion pound theme park. That sounds super exciting. <laughs> I mean, I am a child that we went to, I think we went to Disneyland eight years in a row. So right. call okay. us new money, call okay. us in theme park enthusiasts. Yeah, very um, good. I'd love to know your thoughts on, as much as you can tell me, I'm sure there'll be all sorts of business sensitivity around that. Sure. How does that sort of deal come about? Mm. What's What part do you play in that? I mean, mm. I'm guessing there'll be a Thunderbirds act, attraction of some description. Mm. Bring that to life for us, because mm. I'm fascinated. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, we talked about heritage brands. Mm. This is the sort of thing where a heritage brand stands up. Okay. Because Graham... Grandpa, father, daughter can all go, hey, Thunderbirds, and they're all on it, and they understand it, and, and that's great. Got it. And, and, and looking for brands that do that, there aren't so many of it. Mm. So that, that's one of the things which probably is, is why Thunderbirds was selected by London Resort to be one of their features within, yep. within this. Um, and also, of course, it's not just known in the UK, has global recognition as well. Okay. So those are all boxes that are ticked. As a deal, it, uh, it's done. I mean, we have a team. They go out, they talk to people, they talk about opportunities, they'll talk to theme park partners and, um, you know, operators. Um, we have something going on with Thunderbirds with Gulliver's at the moment, for example. So we're always looking uh, to partner up in that space. My personal view on theme parks is I do believe uh, it's, as human, okay, another reaction to this globalization of media, media everywhere, on your fingertips all the time, yeah. is uh, uh, music. You can get music, you can get Spotify, you can listen to anything you want, anytime, anywhere. Okay, so what do people crave now more than anything? The person, the real thing. Okay. Live concerts. Yeah. Look at live concerts now, bigger than they ever were. That's where they make the money. Okay, and I think this personal live experience. It's something that uh, in today's consumerist society, it's what we're going to look for more and more and more. So real things happening yeah. that we can experience. Yeah. Being able to touch and feel like brand, a yeah. piece of content Correct. is going to become more valuable. Correct. And also, if you look at the other mega trend, which is consuming content in isolation. You know, pretty soon we'll all be having headsets on, Yeah. you know. My son tells me he goes to discos where all they've all got headphones on and they listen to music. So it's like, what's you know, well, it's silent disco. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm. But that's what they're doing. I think there's a reaction to that from the human spirit, which is, why don't you go and do something where you do it together? I think that's part and of this. Breaking this down, big question, and feel free not to answer this. The steps that we go through now towards getting a huge theme park in London. I mean, is it definitely going to happen? Might it not happen? Are there steps where 
we might see it in four years without the Thunderbirds. I mean, what are the steps that something like this could go through? And yeah. I suppose how likely is it to go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I think given where this country is right now and uh, the inconsistencies in judgments and rulings and decisions, um, it would be, uh, I'd be foolish to say anything is certain. Um, a big project like this has numerous steps that it needs to go through. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's still a long way off, but it's come a huge way yeah. to get to where it is. So uh, we don't have any reason to think that it won't happen, but certainly, it, you know, these are massive undertakings Got it. and um, there needs to be a, a, a goodwill at a government level to help it. Okay. Two more questions in this section about your role and, and the work that you've done. Just a really generic one, first of all. What mistakes have you made, whether that be you personally or whether that be with the Thunderbirds brand or whether that be with the Robozina brand? Are there any, yeah, any regrets, any things you would have done differently? Um, uh, personally, I've probably made too many, mis- I have made too many mistakes to list. Mm. I think what you have to do is understand that in this business, you come to a cross, you come to a fork in a road four or five times a day. You've got to choose one or the other. And you just do it and just try and make sure that you choose the right route more times than you choose the wrong route. So generally speaking, it's my approach to it. Um, I, I don't think there's any uh, particular mistakes that we've made with how we brought the Thunderbirds back to life for kids. It's been very successful. I don't, I don't think there's any mistakes that we've made in that. I think one of the things that you try to do, but which is hard, is to look two years down the line and say, what is the, what is the landscape going to be in the US yeah. in two years? Anybody can try and make that call right now. Right. Because you've got all those different players coming into the market. Is anybody going to be dominant? Who should you partner with? You know, back to my mm. point, is any of them going to have a critical mass of audience yeah. that can deliver, you know, back end? That's a real problem. I mean, and if the thing is, if you call them mistakes, like I went with the wrong partner, <laughs> you could say it's a mistake. But I think that's harsh. Sure. Uh, this kind of builds on stuff that we've already said. And actually, just the point that you've made there. One thing that you're absolutely going to be aware of is the trends in the marketplace. Almost frivolous pub chat here, Steve. Mm. I'd love to know any thoughts mm. on, I don't know, are, are there programs that are massive in Belgium that we would never have dreamed of? Is there still a version of Faulty Towers on somewhere? Oh, Do you know, are there any yeah. quirks in the market and in entertainment properties that are doing yeah. really well? There are, um, I think, um, I don't know about quirks. I mean, when I tell people that Thunderbirds is huge in Japan, they go, they're like, Aghast. Yeah. And that's a historical thing. Okay. It's been there. It's it was never there a year. Left. No, it was there a year after it was launched in the UK. Wow. Mm. And it's never and it's never no, never left. In fact, Thunderbirds is bigger in Japan, I would say, as a brand in terms of love and passion and, and everything else than it is in the UK. Wow, you've blown mm. my mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and there are I think what we've seen is um I think most anybody with a child would have heard of Baby Shark. Mm-hmm. So one song. Mm. One song that has now become uh, 
a brand. Yeah. It, it'll struggle to get bigger than that, but it, it's known globally. Just one song. So there's an example of something that's been spawned yeah. from the YouTube phenomenon. So I got from my darling daughter for Christmas a T-shirt that said Daddy Shark. So I'm right in on You're the right. baby. There, You've got I it. am there. Can I ask a really blunt question? Yeah, did anyone get rich from Baby Shark? And how did they? Well, I'm... yeah. I mean, Pinky Fong, the, the, the guys who operate it, obviously they operate this, um, this hub, this channel, and Baby Shark is one of their songs. Right. Okay. So these guys make a lot of money. Mm. Um, there is now um, uh, a lot of legislation, not necessarily targeting them, but anybody in the children's space that um, YouTube are bringing out uh, because of the fines that they got. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be a restriction. How that affects the ability of these guys to market, like subscriptions, you can't have any subscriptions. Mm. Ultimately, those subscriptions are adults because a child can't have a subscription. Yeah. They're parents on behalf of the child. But yeah. either way, that's going to be curtailed. So how much money those guys can make going forward is unclear. Um, but certainly they will have made uh, a lot of money out of that. Um, you know, 10, 10, 20, 30, 40 million um, over um, the last sort of four or five years. Wow. Hmm. Let me ask one more question, if that's all right, just on YouTube and YouTube Kids. At time of recording, last week, uh, Google were told off by the American authorities yes. for effectively not doing the right thing around tracking of kids around their own portals. Yes. Where, where do you see YouTube going? Do you just think all kids' content is going to come off YouTube? Because yeah. they're talking about that. And that's, they've got YouTube kids. Go on. I, I don't, well, I don't see it going that way. I certainly think that's, that wouldn't be what Google would do. No. Because if you look at YouTube, I'd say probably at least a third of its content is kids-based. Nobody thought it would be, but it is. If you go through the list of the top, top sites or the top content, uh, top 10, four of them would be kids-related. Yeah. Preschool, the yeah. biggest. Because, of course, the key thing with preschool is you watch it over and over and over again. So then you get these huge views. So um, that's one. Secondly, to ban it sounds a bit draconian to me. Mm. That really is 1984, isn't it? Mm. Uh, we're sort of heading that way, I know, with a lot of things these days. But that would be a bit over the top. YouTube Kids is the platform that they have. That's where they seem to be wanting to drive all of this content and everybody to. Um, I would imagine that will be the focus of it going forward. Final section of my chat with Steve Green from ITV Studios is around his rocket fuel. Actionable insights that our listeners can take into their daily professional lives. Gosh. Some things that we can glean from your experience, Steve. So let's start with a big question. What do you know about young audiences? Um, I'm going to repeat slightly what I said earlier. Uh, what I know about young audiences is that there is no one audience. You have to segment your audience quite carefully. Okay. For sure. Um, uh, that would be step number one. If Once you've done that, we know that they are consuming their content differently now. Okay. Self-navigation is obviously a key at an earlier age. Um, I speculate here, don't think there's any conclusive proof on this, but I also think that from a habit-forming perspective, 
they are looking to try to get whatever they get out of storytelling, linear content, faster. Okay. So I don't want to say they've got shorter attention spans because it's not. It's, I think it's a habit thing. Mm-hmm. They're used to watch, flick, watch, flick, watch, flick. And they're used to this form of consumption. Yeah. And they will be going forward. Yeah. It's not going to disappear. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a result of the, of the, the media consumption we have now. So I think that is something that you'll have to think about. You've really got to think about it. It doesn't mean that movies are going to be gone. Of course they're not. Mm. But if you're looking at anything in a shorter space, the traditional half hour format, I wonder, I wonder if that's not where, I think that's probably something that isn't going to exist anymore. And we need to learn how to write our storytelling to suit this. Okay. It, we're in an age of brand purpose. You know, adults talk about brand purpose and authenticity. What do you think is important to young audiences? For the younger audience, so if you, uh, let's go beyond preschool. I think... For that sort of four or five-year-old, I personally think you have to help them to suspend reality and take them on a journey with your brand as an entertainment brand. Right. And, and allow them to explore notions and ideas that they don't do on an everyday level. So you can educate them, but you shouldn't be like school. You can take oh. them on a journey. Oh. Okay, that's an interesting point. The education versus... Uh, I believe that there's lots of education out there. There's curriculums, and I believe that um, it's uh, it's pretty well drilled into kids these days. Yeah. Um, it's certainly um, important. There are values and there are... Um, uh, um, regulations that have to be followed with all children's content, obviously, and that is, uh, it should just be de rigueur. It's not, you know, honestly, it's not worth talking about, I don't believe. Okay. You know, diversity, uh, all of those things have to be included. Of course they do, um, but that should be just like breathing. You don't, you know, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't even be conscious of it is we've got a problem. Yeah. Um, but for me, the heart of it is that still has to happen. And that, that hasn't changed for hundreds of years forever since storytelling existed can focus on the storytelling i think that's really important what has changed about the behavior of young audience is in the media and kind of marketing world but in the media space and what do you think will be the next big change in how they behave um i think the thing that i'm seeing in the action adventure space okay okay where we've been operating with robert zinner and with thunderbirds is um, uh, the shift from or the balance of watching linear storytelling, okay, uh, and taking part in something where you are part of the fancy, uh, fancy, i.e., gaming. Okay. So just take Fortnite. Yeah. I jump in. I'm in the world. I'm there. Okay. That piece has become more and more and more important, and I get it. If I was seven years old and this had existed for me, I would have been obsessed with it. Yeah. I would have been. That's, it would have been incredibly invigorating and empowering for me. Yeah. If you think now that this is moving now to uh, 
um, VR, let's call it VR, it'll have a new name in hmm. five years' time, yeah. but where you are putting on a headset and you're in the world. Yeah. And your friend in, in five miles away has put the headset on and he's in the world with you. This is quite a little bit mind-blowing, but it's not a million miles away. Yeah. If that is where entertainment is going, you, ha- you, have, you tear everything up. Start again. How... What is the storytelling? Do you tell a story? Mm. Do they tell their own story? That's really what it comes down to. So for That's brands, it's familiar. building the worlds that can it's, then be taken and experienced by the audience. Just, that's, this is where it is. Mm. So if I was 20 years old, coming into the business again now, that's where I would probably be looking. Okay. Yeah. Big question. Which brands or organisations do you think are getting it right and which brands or organizations do you think are getting it wrong or and, and what mm. are the, the pitfalls that anybody can fall into yeah i do think that again i've stated this before that um the ability to watch content when you want to watch it um is uh, uh not going to go away so i think the identification of that as a uh, as a consumer trend is correct so those guys who are SVODs who are doing that, yes, they've got that right. How much they invest in their content, uh, how global they try to be, is up for debate. And there are many people who do debate, what should Netflix be worth? How global can they be? You know, How much of their business outside of their English language is really profitable for them, etc. I think those who do that uh, have got that right. That is, you have to be in that space. The notion of broadcasting content um, is always going to be there, but for certain types of content. You, you need to have both, yeah. I think, to, to have a, a, um, for, the, for your audience in any country to go, yeah, I like this, I like that. It's a balanced approach. Um, I think anybody who's done that has got it right. I personally think um, that the, so long as they stay agnostic, so whatever Play Warners are going to make now with, with um, Max, mm. uh, Net, uh, um, uh, Apple, all those guys, if they stay agnostic as platforms and they're open to all sorts of brands, then I think they'll have an advantage. Disney, I think, because they've got so much, they can afford to just make it a play for themselves. Okay. All right? um, that's the key thing, I think, is, is there going to be somebody who's going, going to remain agnostic and be a friend to all content providers. If they are, then I would suggest they would have an advantage because they will have the pick of the best of creativity. Okay. Final point or question, and it's a big, potentially a big broad one. What's the one takeaway you want our listeners to walk away from our chat? What's the one thing you want to leave with them? Goodness, one thing. (laughs) One thing um, for the kid, I, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the phrase kids here, um, even though I said you have to segment it. Um, I think probably the one thing to take away from this is you'll often hear the phrase content is king uh, as people talk about what goes on in the world. It's one way of saying it, but I think what I'm trying to say is if you focus on, uh, as an entertainment company, I suppose your content is, is your brand. 
focus on your brand first. Focus on your brand first and then look at what's going on in the marketplace about how things are consumed. But focus on what it is about your brand. Um, if you keep, if you don't lose sight of that, I think you'll be okay. okay. I think if you try and do too much of it the other way, you can get confused. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah. Steve, thank you so much for doing Rocket Fuel. That's been pleasure. excellent. Um, My pleasure. It, a big question. Do, yeah. Is there places where people can find out more about you? Do you want people to find out more about you? How can people get in touch? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, on link, I'm on LinkedIn. Fine. So anybody can find me on there Brilliant. if they want to ask more questions of me. <laughs> so, right. But yeah, no problem with that. I'm on LinkedIn. Good stuff. Steve, thank you so much. Very good. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to the full interview of this week's Rocket Fuel. I really enjoyed that chat. Um, there are many more that we've had, many more still to come. If you've got great ideas for guests or you just wish we'd ask different questions, then get in touch. We're really keen to take on board your feedback. In the meantime, give us a five-star review. Do share this podcast with someone who you think would really like it. And tune in next week. Thank you for listening. This is a Rocket Audio production.